Let's pretend somebody just got engaged. Beautiful, you have this beautiful ring right now and now you have to plan your wedding. What would be the first step? Where do you start? The first thing I would say is once you get engaged, to take a beat, to pause. People always want to move into action. It's very common to be super exciting and like want to post on social media, want to, you know, start telling people and inviting people. I always say take a beat, pause and enjoy the moment, right? Like make sure you are able to process what's happening and and don't dive in right away. Give yourself like a week at least of just enjoying. But once you've kind of calmed down and been able to process, I would say the first thing to do is to have a conversation with your partner. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Bougie Investment Podcast. I'm your host, Coco, and welcome to the Bougie Investing community. First, I want to say that if you have not joined yet, you got to join my broadcasting channel on Instagram, where I host weekly giveaways, and I share kind of like the behind the scenes, and I tell you about new upcoming podcast episode, and it's just kind of like a more private conversation with all my bougie besties. In today's episode, we're going to talk all things wedding planning. Growing up, I'm sure most of us have dreamed of having this huge, beautiful wedding. But as you get older, you see that sometimes you might even not need that. So in today's episode, I interviewed Kelly Khalil. She's the founder of Loverly. Loverly is a leading digital wedding planning platform offering a wide range of tools, expert advice, and diverse content to guide couples through their wedding planning journey. It's like a DIY wedding planning platform. Kelly definitely knows a thing or two about weddings. So in today's episode, I asked her a lot of questions and how to have uh, some like uncomfortable conversations when you might not agree with your partner about certain things, or if you're at a wedding party and you're dealing with a bridezilla, or maybe you are the bridezilla. (laughs) I love this episode for anybody who is just curious about weddings. Maybe you're engaged, maybe you're planning a wedding, or maybe you just want to hear about that big day whenever it does come. Before we get into it, I would kindly ask you, as always, to leave a five-star rating and review if you're enjoying the podcast. It helps show more than you can possibly imagine. I love reading your reviews, and I'm going to read one that I recently got from Catalina Londono. She's from Colombia, and she said, I love the energy of this podcast. So bougie. Coco is amazing. It's the ideal podcast you can learn about a lot of things if you want to improve your life, such as networking, feminine side, and high maintenance. Yes, dear Catalina, I'm trying to provide value in every aspect of your life. So that's why we covered weddings, because a lot of my content, as you guys know, is about dating. And then one day you got to plan a wedding. So I'm like, I need to have somebody on who can help us. So without further ado, um, I don't know why I say that in every episode. Without further ado, I just think it sounds like, you know, like an actual podcaster. (laughs) And make sure to send this episode to all of your friends who might benefit from it. Somebody who got engaged, somebody who's planning their wedding. Thank you very much for listening. (laughs) Rocky, stop whining. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kelly, welcome to Bougie Best Friend Podcast. Coco, what's up, girl? <laughs> what's up? 
I am so excited to chat with you. You are my go-to wedding guru. And I was just at a wedding um, a little bit ago. And I feel like I have so many more questions now for you. <laughs> more than I prepared. Well, unfortunately or fortunately, I have a tremendous amount of wedding knowledge and I'm happy to share it. So hopefully it can help anyone who's thinking about getting engaged, currently planning. Um, yeah, happy to dive into all things wedding. Okay, let me start with you and your background. You are the founder of Lovely, a DIY wedding planning platform. Tell me where did the idea come from? A little bit about you. Is that something you always were interested in? Yeah, so I started Loverly a little over 10 years ago. My my background is I, I studied entrepreneurship, grew up in LA, went to USC, fight on. So born and raised in Southern California. And, you know, I always knew I wanted to start a business, but wasn't quite sure what that business would be. I grew up in a house where both my parents were entrepreneurs. So it was in my DNA. I started my career completely unrelated industry in finance. And I did that for three and a half years, made a bunch of money. But as a lot of people who are recovering finance, uh, recovering people, finance people. Yeah. Like, you know, you get to the point where the money you're making does not line up with like the stress or the unhappiness factor. You just grind, you're working like 80, 90 hour weeks. Right. So anyways, I, I kind of, left that, took some time, figured out what I wanted to do. And my sister was running a, a PR firm, a lifestyle PR firm in LA. And one of her biggest categories that she worked on was weddings. So she worked with basically like the Kardashians event planner, you know, celebrity dress designers, photographers, venues. And so she was helping them to build their brand online, digitally, social was new. So this is when PR was still like TV and print. And then social media was becoming a thing. Right. And so I decided to work with her and we were working together for a couple months and then she got engaged. And so, you know, when a wedding publicist gets engaged, it's a next level type of wedding. So she had the ultimate Rolodex of people to tap into, but you know, 10 plus years ago, Pinterest was barely a thing. There was no Instagram. And I found myself just doing a bunch of research and, you know, we were still tearing things out of magazines, putting together binders. I mean, it literally sounds like the dark ages of wedding planning when I describe it, <laughs> but really the idea for Loverly came from, wouldn't it be great if there was one place you can go to, to get ideas, inspiration, advice, find vendors and in a way that I, I wanted to be like modern, right? I felt like the publications that were out there didn't really speak to millennial consumers, now millennial and Gen Z. And so that was really the, the vision for Loverly was to make wedding planning easier and more fun. Here we are, gosh, almost 10 years later, we've helped thousands of couples down the aisle. We have a couple hundred people signing up almost every day. We offer free wedding planning tools, everything from a wedding checklist, to a guest list manager. That means collecting mailing addresses, managing RSVPs, et cetera, et cetera, um, helping you find your vendors. So we offer that full suite of tools for really, I would say the DIY person, but also the person that's like digitally focused. So if you just wanna have a simple tool that brings it all together for you, that's what we do. Totally free, create an account at leverly.com. It's, it's, it's been a journey 
But it's very rewarding when you hear couples say like, oh my gosh, your tool like saved my life. It was so easy. It was great because people get overwhelmed with wedding planning. It's, it's, it's a lot of information. It's a lot of spend. Um, and so, yeah, we just want to make it easy and fun. Okay. A million questions in my mind. Let's actually, this is how I want to do this conversation. Let's pretend somebody just got engaged. Beautiful. You have this beautiful ring right now. And now you have to plan your wedding. What would be the first step? Where do you start? The first thing I would say is once you get engaged, to take a beat, to pause. People always want to move into action. It's very common to be super exciting and like want to post on social media, want to, you know, start telling people and inviting people. And I always say, take a beat, pause and enjoy the moment, right? Like make sure that you are able to process what's happening and and don't dive in right away. Give yourself like a week at least of just enjoying. But once you've kind of calmed down and been able to process, I would say the first thing to do is to have a conversation with your partner. And the conversation is going to be something like this. What do you envision for this wedding? What is on your mind? You need to align on what you both want for your wedding day. That means where you want to get married. What is the vibe of the wedding? What is the scale of it? Is it small and intimate? Is it a destination? Is it a big blowout party with all your family and friends? Then you need to talk a little bit about budget. How much do we want to spend? Who is contributing? Is it, are you both paying for it? Do you have family that's contributing? How, how do you want to pay for it? Having the money conversation, very, very important. And I actually have a number of videos and articles on this because money, when it comes to weddings, can be a very, very touchy subject. Probably one of the most um, heated and Mm -hmm. overwhelming. And then the third thing you want to talk about is who you're going to invite because the guest list itself is going to really impact the budget, how much you need to spend and where you can have the wedding. So I've had a bride to be on my podcast where she went and booked a venue that she loved and she was so excited about. She was so eager to lock in the wedding venue was the perfect location vibe, the entire thing. And then when, once it was signed and she had paid the deposit, her and her fiance started working through their guest list and turns out big mistake, the venue only fits like 120 and their guest list is double that. So Mm. she's having a major crisis, right? Either change the venue or cut the list. So, and how much is usually the deposit? Is it 50%? I mean, it depends venue to venue, but you're going to put something sizable down. It could be anywhere from 25% to 50%. So be prepared once you find the venue to write a check, because if you Mm -hmm. want to lock in your venue, you're going to sign a contract and you're going to put a deposit down and you need to read that contract because it, it is a legal agreement. And they're not like overwhelming and and crazy and and super scary, but you should read through it line by line and understand it and make sure the wedding date is correct. You and your partner's names are correct. The um, payment schedule you're cool with and it works for you. 
Yeah. You just want to make Mm. sure that you're comfortable with the contract. You're comfortable with the agreement. It's not a small amount you're committing. And I would say that the venue Mm -hmm. probably is, is the agreement that you want to fully understand because some things that may be in the agreement are things like what vendors you can work with. Some venues have lists that you only can work with their preferred vendors. Things you need to know. What time are you allowed to go to? Right? Like some venues, if like I think Malibu, California is a really good example. That whole town of Malibu, they have like a noise ordinance where by 10 p.m. everything needs to be shut down. So there's no music after 10 p.m. The police come and the venue coordinator will shut down the party because they don't want to lose their license. Right. So Croatian people should not go there because our weddings are usually till like 5 a.m. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not a huge fan of, but go ahead. Yeah. yeah, If you're trying to rage, (laughs) you want to make sure that the venue accommodates that. Other things, (laughs) other things, too, to think about are load in and load out time. So, yeah, you might have the Saturday wedding, but they might have a wedding on Friday. Right. Mm -hmm. So like making sure you know how much time you have to load in your flowers, your decor, your rentals. Um, And sometimes if you are doing an elaborate over-the-top design, you might need to buy out the day before. So there's Mm -hmm. all of these things that you need to like understand and talk through uh, when it comes to the venue. One more thing I would also flag is some venues have very, very strict rules on what you can hang on the walls and what you can put up. What about getting married in like somebody's backyard or renting a house? Does that save you money? So that is a really common myth that happens when someone's planning a wedding. Because the wedding venue is, I would say, the single largest line item on your wedding budget, right? You think, oh, I'll just get married at my parents' house or you know, my friend's house or whatever it is. The problem with that is unless that house, that home, that venue is set up to do events, you have to bring everything in. So at first you feel like, oh, I'm saving money on the venue fee, but then you have to bring in bathrooms for 200 mm-hmm. people. And tell me an example. How do, how would that even work? Well, you're not trying to bring in like a porta potty, but think <laughs> about like a movie trailer. Like when you're on set of a movie, they have really nice, almost like little trailers that look like they have like marble floors and they're actually mm-hmm. nice bath, but they cost like $3,000 to rent them. Right. So mm-hmm. that's probably for two toilets or two, you know, little yeah. uh, bathrooms. So you're bringing in bathrooms, you're bringing in all the catering, you're bringing in all the rentals, you're bringing in power sometimes, like a generator, because sometimes these homes are not equipped to handle a DJ, a a, um, a band's kind of AV setup, the lights, all of that, right? So um, it's not that your wedding will be cheaper, you'll just be allocating that money differently. And it could be more stressful because there's going to be things that you don't know that you don't know, right? (laughs) And so I would say if you're doing a full-scale wedding production at a home, you're going to want a planner who knows, you know, logistically what you would need to pull that off. So it's not always cheaper to go that full DIY route. It oftentimes 
can be more expensive and more time, more logistics, more stress. So there is something nice about a wedding venue that has everything dialed. Oftentimes venues have their own rentals. They have tables, chairs, they have, you know, uh, different bar, bar setups. They have stages. They have a lot of these things figured out. And most importantly, most of them have catering kitchens, mm-hmm. which is a huge thing. Cause if you're doing something at home, they have to build oftentimes yeah, a, where full, put all the food? a full catering setup in the parking lot. Right. And that takes yeah. tenting that takes, you know, grills. Another so, fee. Another exactly. fee for grills and so, for yeah. yeah. So it can be very, very expensive. So you need to weigh the pros and cons and not make that decision lightly. I had my engagement party at my father's house and we had to bring everything in. You mentioned wedding planners, which mm-hmm. is something that we need to dissect. There's a lot of wedding planners out there. When you're hiring somebody for your special day, give me a few questions you should ask them to make sure that you are a good fit. So before you start talking to wedding planners, you need to ask yourself some questions because there are so many different types of professionals at different price points, different levels of service. So I'm going to break that down first, and then we can talk about interviewing a planner. So you can go from something as simple as a day of coordinator, which is someone you might hire to start helping you 60 days out from the day of the event. So they'll put together your day of timeline. They are there on the day of the wedding and they're coordinating all the logistics of delivery and setup. So while you're getting your hair and makeup done or getting dressed and getting ready, you can be fully focused on your actual wedding and not worried about was the cake mm-hmm. delivered, et cetera. <laughs> so at a minimum, I would highly recommend getting a day of coordinator. That's kind of the, the entry point, right? Then you have a, a full planner and a planner is someone who you might hire six to nine months out and they're focused on all of the logistics. So they'll help you find the vendors, sometimes help you find the venue. They'll help you manage your budget. They'll help you figure out like the best, the best mix of vendors that work together. They really take on all the operations and logistics of the day. They will oftentimes remind you of payments due to vendors, contracts that need to be signed. They usually help negotiate a lot of those terms on your behalf, right? So they become the full planner logistics. The next tier up is an event designer and planner. And that's when they actually creatively run point on that. That can be everything from the overall aesthetic, the vibe, the florals. Um, it's a separate design. It's, it's, a, it's a more expensive offering because they're literally designing the entire thing. And a lot of people don't understand that when they are hiring an event. Pl- like, oh, I hired a wedding planner. They assume they're getting event design with that. But that's not always the case. And so that's really something that you need to like think about. And then the highest tier, that most upper echelon, which, you know, Melissa Andre, she's really big on Instagram. She kind of is, is one of these planners. She's incredible. She's a creative director. You hire her and it's turnkey. She manages everything. The florals, the photography, all of the details are completely managed under her roof. She has all of her own team. So from start to finish, she's managing everything. Mm-hmm. So you need to understand yourself. What kind of planner are you? What kind of help do you want? 
and then start there, right? Okay. I want to be involved. I want to get my hands dirty. I have some budget that I want to allocate. So I'm going to just go with a regular planner. I don't need design. I want to kind of take on the design myself or I want my florist to lead design, right? Mm -hmm. So once you figure that out, that will narrow the scope of what kind of service provider you're looking for. So I think that would be number one when you're you're going out down that path. And then number two, when you're interviewing planners, it truly is a matter of personality and match. Like your wedding team, you have to get along with. And because you're going to be working with them for an extended period of time on the most you know, emotionally charged day of your life. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much the questions you need to ask. It's honestly, these planners usually have it down to a science on the questions they will ask you in Mm -hmm. their screening process. Cause it really is a two way, um, interview to see if you're, they don't want to work with a bridezilla either. That is correct. (laughs) And also like, honestly, I joke about this, but it's, it's a real thing. Like, there is, you know, a pain in the ass fee. <laughs> I yeah, I, I really think there is. When someone finds that like, oh, they're going to be really difficult, you know, they're like, all right, my prices are going to, I'd rather not, they'd either say no, thank you, or it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Speaking of fees, can you give me, and obviously I hate that I always have to give disclaimers, but like, can you give me a ballpark of like, how much can this cost? And yes, different city, different uh, levels and all that. But like the, the entry the fee, average the entry level. <laughs> we could talk about the average. The average wedding in the US costs anywhere from twenty nine to thirty two thousand. Okay. That is the average. The average guest count is about 120. So take that with a grain of salt because if you're getting married in New York City, your entry point is probably eighty K. That's your entry Mm -hmm. point. Luxury weddings are, which this sounds like a lot of money. It's not even luxury at a hundred thousand, which sounds crazy, but 150,000, 200,000 is an entry point. Now I realize that is a down payment for a house. That is, Mm -hmm. you know, that is your student loans. It's a lot of money. And so you really, again, going back to the early conversation with your partner, you need to draw the line in the sand as to what you're willing to pay because you can have a beautiful event at any budget. And if you only have a $15,000 budget, maybe you're just hosting a beautiful dinner party with mm-hmm. 20 friends and you're wearing a beautiful dress and you have a photographer there. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's ways that you can pull off a beautiful wedding at your budget. So don't be discouraged by that. But you know, if you're looking at Instagram and you're seeing those beautiful tents with floral chandeliers, you know, a tent can cost $20,000 just for the tent. It's not cheap. Not cheap. The, the, the chandeliers are usually a bit pricey. I want to stay here for a second when it comes to like money conversations, because they are very uncomfortable. So speaking of the conversation with your partner, what if you just don't align on what you want. How would you solve that? I mean, that's that's a tough question. Honestly, if you can't get through the money conversation, then you probably shouldn't be planning the wedding. In fact, <laughs> you, you need you need to figure out how to align on that. It's really important. I think what what ends up being um, a factor that I will say that comes into play oftentimes is 
if one of the people in, in the couple, their parents are contributing, right? So sometimes a parent might allocate, oh, I'm going to gift you $30,000 mm-hmm. towards your wedding or whatever it is, right? That oftentimes can come with its own set of stress and anxiety. So go down this road with me. The father, the mother of the groom, I'm going to help plan. We're going to give you all the dollars, <laughs> right? Now. And then it's her wedding, basically. Exactly. And, and that's something to consider. Whoever pays has the power. And um, I had Jove Meyer, who's an incredible Brooklyn-based planner and designer, and he said that, and it stuck with me because it is true. Whoever is mm-hmm. paying is going to control the guest list. They're going to control the design, the aesthetic. And so if you Maybe are going to hire their own wedding planner that you I mean, don't like. I mean, you, you, you don't know. And so mm-hmm. um, it's really important that if you're getting contributions from family, I would suggest they actually give you the money and that you personally sign the contracts and you pay the deposits yourself. Because if your future mother-in-law, her name is on the contract, she can call those Damn. people and she can redesign your oh wedding. Oh my God. Oh my God. Did that ever happen? Did I've heard of that. Something? I've heard of that multiple times. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is wild. Okay. What is, what call, co- I mean, we're, we're talking about money here a lot, but I think that's like a huge part of that entire day. But can you pinpoint something that people usually just get like super surprised? Why, what kind of like fee is like super surprising? I think people are surprised at the cost of rentals, things like building out a dance floor. If you want a custom decal on your dance floor, if you want a tent set up or a beautiful light installation, I think people are shocked by those prices because like I said, they can be very, very mm-hmm. hefty. And I think people are surprised by f- the cost of flowers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when you have a, a a product, right? I'm calling flowers product, but when there's seasonality, when there's labor involved and shipping and all of this stuff, flowers can get very expensive very quickly. And it's, we're in a world where we see so much on Instagram and you see these insanely beautiful installations and people don't realize that's a $50,000 floral budget. Mm-hmm. I, one of my friends got married in Dubrovnik or the way we would say Dubrovnik. Mm-hmm. And it's like higher on some kind of, I don't even know how to ex- describe it in English, but like, it's like you have to climb somewhere and their wedding cliff. was something like that and they had a carry fee because people had to carry you know chairs and everything and they were like that was just so surprising what about the wedding dress do you think people usually like rent or they buy it themselves so i think wedding dress rentals are very popular overseas like i know uh i'm half in croatia everybody's like renting right yeah yeah so same so so my my father's whole family is in Lebanon. So I'm Lebanese and all of my cousins who are my age, when they were getting married, they had these over the top, beautiful gowns. We're talking like $50,000 couture gowns, but, but over there it's rental. So Mm -hmm. they would pay what we do over here. American brides pay like to buy the dress. They would pay that to rent the dress. And it's, you know, a couture ball gown or whatever it is. So I think it's really different in the US than it is overseas. But yes, it's really common in Europe and Middle East to rent 
versus here. Most of them are buying it. And there are so many amazing designers now that are off the rack, you know, price points from 1200 to 2500 which don't get me wrong, still pricey, right? <laughs> if you're thinking about a regular dress, but these are hand-sewn couture, you know, mm-hmm. or I wouldn't say couture, but like very high-end dresses. And then you have the most beautiful designers in the world. They're, they're making dresses 15, 25, 30,000. I mean, you know, no. they can get up there. But again, there are dresses at every price point. What about destination weddings? Since we're talking about overseas, what is your opinion on destination weddings? Huge fan of destination weddings. I think one, by nature of it being a travel situation, <laughs> it's going to narrow down who comes. Not necessarily just because of cost, but because of who wants to make the commitment to... to the effort. and yeah, yeah, and the effort. And so I, I love destination weddings because for a couple of reasons. One, it is... A, it's not just one day, it's it's a weekend, right? Or it's a couple days. So it ends up being a really amazing experience because everyone's together for not just one or two days, sometimes three days, they really get to know each other and you can have multiple events. Also, depending on where the destination is, there can be amazing activities or just beauty of that area if you're doing it in Mexico or you know Croatia or wherever, right? There's oftentimes... Mm-hmm cultural experiences that you can put on for your guests that make it really, really special and memorable. How do you control that wedding though? You, I'm, I'm guessing everybody needs to have a wedding planner if they're doing a destination wedding, or at least they have to be really present at the destination or something. But how can you control actually what's going to happen if you're not there? Yeah. Control and weddings is a, is a hard uh, two words to go together. Uh, if you're doing a destination wedding, you're definitely going to want to have a planner and or oftentimes venues if they are specifically destination wedding venues, like most say 70% of their weddings are people from you know different destinations. They usually have things dialed in for you, but just know if you're using the venues planner, you're going to be limited to the vet, you know, their go-to who they work with and, you know, who they recommend. They have like their, their template, if you will. Whereas mm-hmm. your planner is working for you, your vision, everything from scratch, right? What kind of trends are you currently seeing? Because I'm sure like your Instagram, uh, Pinterest is like wedding, wedding, wedding. Trends are so interesting when it comes to weddings, because You know, when I started the company 10 years ago, there was a very, very specific aesthetic that was very popular. It was the very light and airy photography with, you know, soft finishes and the big lush paint. It was very romantic and classic was the vibe. And then there was like a rustic vintage, like everyone using mason jars and succulents and typewriters and suitcases that was like, in the 2012s, 13s, right? And then we saw a trend, I would say a couple of years ago, where the photography turned kind of moody and dark and almost having a little bit of like an amber. Yeah, but like having like a moodier, dark, almost orange, I don't want to say orange, but like that tone on it, right? And then you saw a lot of pompous grass and you saw a lot of these like dried flowers. Well, I remember pompous grass Yeah, days. that was a couple of years ago, right? <laughs> I would say the biggest trends that we've seen as of late Mostly inspired, I would say, by TikTok, espresso martinis being huge for a signature cocktail, champagne towers, multiple dress looks, 
I've seen, I did this at my engagement party, so call me basic, but we had little <laughs> napkins that had fun facts on them about me and my, my fiance. I love those little uh, fun facts. Yeah. The, but that, that's like a trend that I've seen. Right. Yeah. Um, I think we've moved away from the matching, matching bridesmaids, obviously to coordinate it around a theme, a palette, a texture, a vibe, which I personally love when everyone can see and express themselves in their own way. Mm -hmm. If they're in the wedding party, I think we've seen really interesting ceremony layouts where it's not just the traditional setup that you would normally see. You see like runway style ceremony setups where the couple's standing in the middle and there's like two or three rows, almost like a, a fashion show. So yeah, there's a lot of really fun things out there, but the thing with trends, just my advice on it is like, just don't get sucked into them because they are very time sensitive, mm -hmm. right? Like they do look back 10 years <laughs> later and be like, what was I thinking? But if you love something, if you think something's really cool and like it resonates with you, then go for it. Right. But like what I hear a lot of, you know, brides who are planning, like they want to include all the, oh, and I want to include this trend and that trend and, you know, and they're doing it mostly for the gram or for TikTok. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's not even. Yeah. Okay. Speaking for the gram and TikTok, I think I saw this on TikTok that you can hire a team that's going to help you create content for oh, your yeah. wedding day. I think that's brilliant. Like yeah. those little transitions with your bridesmaids. Like I would love, I mean, obviously I'm, a, I love social media, so I would love somebody like that for my day. So I don't have to think about content. So that is totally a thing. That is definitely a trend. I honestly, I don't mind it because the last thing you want to be doing is be the person on your phone trying to capture content, especially if you're the bride. But even if you're in the wedding party, you should be there for your bestie, not necessarily mm -hmm. worried about the transition or et cetera. So yes, there are a couple service providers out there. This is what they do. Some photographers have it as an add-on service, but I have seen it more and more, especially with influencers <laughs> and Gen Z getting married, they will hire someone to well, I'll have a full team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Photo, video, there you go. But all on the yeah. iPhone making the transitions for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the bridal party. So as I mentioned, I'm from Croatia. And at least when I was growing up there, having bridesmaids wasn't really a thing. You would have a maid of honor and that's that. But living in the US, I see that's a huge thing. And like, for example, my boyfriend is American. And if we are about to, you know, whenever we do get married, I don't even know who I would put as my bridesmaid. Like I didn't go to college here. My childhood friends are back home. So if something like this happens, or maybe like the girl has a million friends and the guy, you know, maybe he moved there. Like, how would you navigate that situation? Yeah. Wedding parties are, can be tricky for some people. This is a, a big point of stress because there's a pressure to feel like you have to have the same amount on each side, bride and groom. Yeah. Right? I don't have or that many friends the way he does. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and that, that you don't need to have the same, right? Or sometimes you'll hear stories where the mother-in-law or the mother of the bride, like really is lobbying for a cousin or a family yes. member to be in it. It's a thing. It's a big point of stress. Now, here's the thing about wedding parties. They, the trend and what is acceptable has changed so much just in the last 10 years. Like the average age of couples getting married 10 years ago was like 27, 28. Now it's 31, 32. So 
what we've seen happen is as the average age of people getting married has gone up, the amount of people they're inviting as well as the wedding party goes down. Because if you get married mm-hmm. at 22, right out of college, you're going to want like yeah. 25 of your, you know, mm-hmm. sorority sisters in your wedding party. And that's what you used yeah. to see a lot of, right? Mm-hmm. Now I'm seeing a big trend where people have no wedding party or just one person stand besides them, beside them, which I think is really beautiful. The other thing about wedding party is you don't have to have, if you're a woman, just women on your side, you can have men and women on either side, which I really love as a trend. The number of people on each side doesn't need to be equal. So you can have three, he can have 10, no big deal. Mm -hmm. So the rules have changed. There are no rules, throw them out the window. What you want is people around you that are truly going to support you during this planning process, because a lot of stress that brides have oftentimes is in managing the expectations or the drama of the wedding party. And, Mm -hmm. um, you don't need that. So tell me more about that. What kind of drama can happen? I mean, I would just say, choose people who are low maintenance, go with the flow, but I'm easy. (laughs) Well, I mean, low maintenance as far as like, if, no, if you're in someone's wedding, you're not going to make it about you, right? You're, you're there I to have... support. You know what I mean? And some uh-huh. people will make things about them. Like I have to say, when I was working as a makeup artist and I was doing weddings, sometimes I would have the the wedding party be more annoying than the bride. I was going to say, and I've heard like, that from multiple makeup yeah. artists. That's yeah. like a thing. I'm like, it's not about you. Like, I don't need to redo your makeup the third time because you don't know how to express yourself. And because yeah. like you thought that a smoky black eyeshadow is going to look fantastic on your like light pink dress. Like, that's yeah. not my fault. Yeah. But yeah, that can be sometimes really annoying. Yeah. And, and, and it comes, uh, the strength. Stress usually comes not just on the wedding day, but if there's going to be a bridal shower or a bachelorette weekend. In fact, on our podcast, we had the batch boss, I think is what they're called. There's two girls who plan bachelorette parties for people. And part of the reason why they do it is because there's so much drama between coordination and and, and the bride doesn't want to deal with it. And or the maid of honor is like, yo, I didn't sign up for this. So they bring in someone to help plan because it creates order to the chaos. It helps like almost create a system for Mm -hmm. voting. Where are we going to go? How much are we going to pay? What are the budgets? What are the activities? Because managing seven or eight different personalities of people that you know from different life stages can be really challenging. So I hear the stress around the pre-wedding stuff. And then if people, if those bachelorettes don't do well, then the day of the wedding (laughs) can be tense. Yeah, I... I've been to, honestly, maybe even just one bachelorette party. Because as I said, most of my friends were getting married in Croatia around the time when I moved to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't even afford flying back and forth. And yeah, let alone, that's an expensive like, flight. Particip- oh, yeah. <laughs> but recently, my friend was had a bachelorette in Vegas. And even though everybody was so different, we all got along great. But I'm sure there's a lot of... What was the average age of the group? We were a bit older. Yeah. I mean, 31, two, three, maybe some girls were a little older. There's like a maturity factor there. And also like, if you have the dollars to pay for it and you're, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Vegas can be pricey. Yeah, a couple thousand dollars where I was like, mm-hmm. you have to, you just have to do it. And when it comes to hair and makeup, who usually 
pays for the bride. Let's say if you're maid of honor, then mother of the bride. And, you know, who who is traditionally supposed to pay for it? The people getting their makeup done or the bride? So when it comes to the wedding party, first of all, if you are invited to be in the wedding party, be prepared to spend anywhere from two to thirty five hundred, two thousand to thirty five hundred, right? Because of all of those things you just said, the bachelorette, the the dress, the travel, et cetera. But wedding makeup, which can be 150 to 300, right? If you're doing hair, mm-hmm. makeup, et cetera. That is completely up to the bride and if it's in her budget. So sometimes the bride will gift it to, you know, potentially her mom and or her maid of honor. If not, it's totally fine. Bridesmaids don't need to have their makeup done. You could say, hey, I'm bringing on a makeup artist. This is her rate. She's going to be here at this time. She does hair and makeup or whatever it is. If you want to pay for it, here's the cost. It's up to you. Let me know by certain Mm -hmm. time date. Right. But you know, you can't not pay for it and then be upset when you don't like the way someone did their own makeup. So just keep that in mind. Don't be a bridezilla. Um, But yeah, it's totally dependent on, on, on the bride's budget and what she's willing to do. There's really no obligation there. Um, But if you are in the wedding party, that is something that you should kind of in the back of your mind carve out that there will likely be a hair and makeup cost. And the dresses, they usually pay for their own outfits or. Yeah. More and more we're seeing the wedding party choose their dresses, which is why, again, going back to the trend of letting them Mm -hmm. pick their own dress in a color palette, in a, you know, theme or whatever it is, is nice because you can find a blush dress for $50 or $30. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I just think as a bride, be compassionate to the wedding party, especially if you guys are younger or some of your friends don't have the income, they're in school or whatever it is. Like you don't want them to feel obligated to have to spend a lot of money Mm -hmm. to celebrate with you. You know what I mean? Because it can Mm -hmm. make it really stressful and uncomfortable for them. And you sometimes don't know how to communicate that you don't have money or don't want them to know that you're in some kind of financial People have a lot of shame around that. Yeah, they don't want to share like, hey, you know, Mm -hmm. I I don't have $400 for this designer bridesmaid's dress, which, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a lot of money to wear a dress one time. The trend trend that I really like is having a theme for your wedding but like a color so everybody's wearing either black like a palette yeah yeah i've seen on tiktok a lot of like everybody's wearing black just the bride and groom are maybe wearing white but i think you mentioned before or somewhere on your page like different colors maybe everybody's wearing a shade of blue or shade of green i think that looks really beautiful yeah i've seen some really beautiful weddings where they give the wedding guests a color palette. And that way everyone comes, like you said, in, in a shade. So I saw a really beautiful wedding where I think the color palette was like indigos and shades of blue. So all of the wedding guests were wearing shades of blue. Right. And Mm -hmm. then the couple was in all white, which was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've seen for rehearsal dinners or engagement parties where it's like, Hey, the theme is like blush shades of pink and everyone's wearing that. And you know, it, It is really fun because you have beautiful photos and it's very editorial, but as a warning to guests, make sure you read the invitation and you look at the wedding website and you read the recommendation for attire because 
I know, especially with my guy friends who've gone to weddings, they're like, uh, what, what, what does this mean? Like beach chic, like nudes, <laughs> like, what does that mean? You know, what, whatever the, the yeah. description is. And so just, just be kind to them. If you're going to choose a color or a theme, make it something that is like accessible and not yeah, or, so or like specific. Drop a few photos so people can get inspired. Put a mood board. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Put a mood board and make it very clear on your invitations because not everybody reads the invitations. Oh, people don't read them. So, so make sure not only do you have it on the invitation, but then when you send out like, like your, your reminder messages to guests, like, Hey, don't excited to see you next weekend. Remember the, you know. The color palette the or the color I told yeah. you. Exactly. What if somebody shows up wearing white? Oh, man. That is a rough one. Who's I, supposed to tell them? Who's supposed to throw a glass I, of wine on them? I know. I, I think there's a video that we posted on Loverly that yeah, Alexander Madison. Seen. Yeah, she's so funny. So her and John were on the podcast. Her and her husband, they're like these hysterical TikTokers. And they do a whole like video on this. And it's got like hundreds of thousands of views. I mean, look, I'm just going to say you're an adult, you know, at this point, don't wear white to a wedding unless it literally says, please wear white. Number two, don't wear something that's even like similar. If it's like a silver sequins or like a creamy beige, that's very, very like yeah, champagne, champagne, almost like borderline white or cream. Just avoid it. There's so many beautiful options out there. Just don't do it. And if you do do it, karma is coming for you. I don't know. I don't know what to say. (laughs) Maybe the wedding planner goes and gives them a a, a men's coat to put on. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's a tough one. I would definitely have like five black outfits on the side for somebody to like change into because, but you know what? I I don't think anybody does it on purpose though. I mean, maybe they kind of just like don't see the way the dress looks maybe at nighttime or something. I don't know. Have you seen that? Is is that like a common theme? I mean, sometimes? the thing that I've heard, honestly, when it comes to the the wearing white is usually not a wedding guest. It's honestly like some level of drama between like the mother-in-law, the mother of the bride, the father of the bride. It's always like the family members. I don't know why. Um, the toxic family vibes. Yeah. It, it, you, or maybe it's the toxic cousin or the, I don't know. Yeah, the cousin that was always jealous of you. and now Or the sister-in-law. That is a nightmare. I don't know. Um, <laughs> please don't do it, is all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe even uh, in the invite, you can say, like, don't wear white to my wedding day. But speaking of invites, I've seen a lot of people. I've seen a lot. So, like, I've seen either people, like, send a paper invite. What I've seen on TikTok, that people make, like, a little video like an editorial video, and then they they send you like an email invite. So can you walk us through different types of invites? Yeah. Invitations really set the tone for your wedding day and your wedding event. So if you are having a more laid back, relaxed backyard wedding, right? Like you might not need to have a crazy formal invitation, right? So It's totally up to you. And this is something where, again, invitations can happen at any price point. You can have a single paper that is just regular printed and shipped. You could have a thick cardstock calligraphy with wax seals and belly bands and And pigeons and and liners and dried flowers. I mean, you can go. I mean, people can spend up to like I've seen people spend like twenty dollars 
on in, in one invitation. And then the, the to mail it is like three dollars. So it can it can scale very, very quickly. But you also can do something very, very simple and cost effective. Mm-hmm. And then there are people who just are doing like, if again, if it's a kind of casual, less formal wedding, more like a dinner party or reception, they might just send a digital one, a paperless one. So mm-hmm. like for my uh, baby shower, right? It was a quick turnaround. It was within like 30 days. I just sent a, like a digital one. And it was great because all the information was there. People are able to RSVP quickly. But if you're doing like a, a destination wedding or, you know, a lot of people spend 18 to 24 months planning their wedding, you can send a save the date to let people know right away. Then you can send the formal invitation to follow. And inside that invitation, you can have a QR code that goes to your wedding website. You mm-hmm. can, you know, have different paper installs for directions or your registry or, you know, what's happening for the rehearsal dinner. So they can be as minimal or as full blown as you need. One thing I will say, if anyone is currently planning a wedding and thinking about wedding stationery, Loverly has a deal with one of the biggest uh, wedding stationery companies where you can get up to 25% off your invitation. So it's for anyone who has a free account on Loverly in your Mm -hmm. dashboard, we have a promo code with minted. So um, amazing. And you know, that can save you 25% just right there. You mentioned wedding registry. What do you see now? Again, trends or whatever's current. What what's most common? So where I come from, people usually just give cash in an envelope. Yeah. yeah. And when I told my boyfriend about that, he's like, yo, that's so weird. Yeah. It, Again, it, American. Yeah, no, it's a difference between American, Europe, same thing, Middle Eastern culture, very common to give cash. In fact, like that is the number one gift that's, people yeah, give. Yeah, that's, that's the preferred. Yeah. And and it has, I would say, even as like 15 years ago, giving cash, I think was like a faux pas. People like didn't like getting cash. It was very proper. You register for China, betting, toasters, all of that. Again, because couples are getting married a little bit later, oftentimes they already live together. What we're seeing as a trend for registry is that people are using the registry as their upgrade and splurge moment. So upgrading their dinnerware, their barware to have crystal and to have beautiful glassware, right? Uh, maybe updating their their bedding and their and their sheets to be that really luxe organic Turkish cotton set, right? So mm-hmm. we're seeing people, I would say, splurge or add more high price point upgrade items on their registry, and we're seeing them register not just for physical things, but experiences, oh, dinners, funny. classes, date nights, honeymoon activities, and then yes, you cannot avoid it. The cash registry is here; it's here to stay. I think it's like something like 50 to 60% of all registries have some level of cash contribution. And if you don't, people will still bring, you know, checks or cash. Mm -hmm. And I was going to say, if you think that that's going to be a thing I've seen at weddings, there's like these beautiful like gift boxes that literally Mm -hmm. it's almost like a little mailbox where you insert like the envelope. And when I first saw it like four years ago, I was like, is that like, tacky that you literally have like a box for the cash, like put my cash in here, but it's yeah. actually, it's actually really smart because you don't want those envelopes floating around. Yeah. And I've heard nightmare stories where envelopes They've go missing. floated somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, as we are wrapping up this conversation, 
as somebody's wrapping up the wedding, what are they usually gifting? So I personally, when I'm attending weddings and when I get a gift, that's kind of like meaningful, but not meaningful. When I get a gift, that's like useful. I like that more than getting like a magnet. <laughs> so what do you suggest if somebody is like getting married, they're trying to figure out like their farewell? Look, I think favors and gifts are nice if you have room for it in your budget, but it also can be really expensive and not necessary if you are cutting down on budget. Now, what I prefer, and I agree with you, is something that's useful. I don't think doing the monogrammed, like, no one wants like a coaster that says yeah, like Coco and Kelly's wedding 2023. <laughs> nobody wants that. Like, let's be honest. No, nobody wants that. So don't just avoid the super cheese, like throw away, like, you know, garbage. I personally like an edible favor or gift because like, whether it's like a honey or, you know, um, I love that a you cookie to go. My first thought was like a weed edible. And that's yeah. People have done that too. But I think something that people can, a consumable, I would say that people can enjoy. Consumable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I think those are nice. Um, you can get like a little monogram, like a personalized chocolate. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll or, use that, but yeah. I'm not going to put like a coaster with your name on in my apartment. Yeah, like, exactly. I'm going to put mine. <laughs> exactly. I'm aligned well, on that one. Kelly, I had so much fun talking to you. I am sure, pretty sure this conversation is going to be very useful for anybody getting married, about to get married, maybe divorced and getting married again. <laughs> so thank you for sharing all of your tips and tricks. And please tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find Loverly. Well, if anyone has any wedding planning questions, if you're in the process of planning, send a DM, follow our account at Loverly on Instagram and TikTok. We are always down to answer questions. Um, and you can find us at Loverly.com. And um, yeah, Amazing. we'd love to help you plan your big day. And it's for free 99, no fee to join. <laughs> Woohoo! Love it. Well, Kelly, thanks again. Thank you everybody for listening and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.